Hello, this is Pam Electric Ghost. We have Alex Celeste. Hi. Yeah. Hi. So it's great to, great to have you on. So just do a little brief intro. I'm Pam Electric Ghost. I'm a podcaster. I've been interviewing independent artists since 2018. And this program is actually part of the Spotify family. And we've just hit 25,000 listeners worldwide. So wow. we're happy about that. And we're happy to have you on the show. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So we sent you the questions and we usually start start with our interviews uh, by going into uh, the questions that we ask all the artists that we talk to. So when, when did you first get into music and I, like what age? Yeah. So it's an interesting question. I was mostly in like theater, TV, film and everything when I was younger. And that was I think I started that probably um, when I was a freshman in high school. And once I got into music, um, like actually creating the beats and producing and recording my own vocals over them, it was just last year actually where I started um, just kind of like learning what to do and how to blend everything together and stuff. And so it's definitely something that's very recent in my life so yeah I guess I always um you know then I ask people like okay you get into music and then you realize that you want to do it <laughs> when, when did you decide that what type of music you wanted to get into and you know, that you actually had like a voice for that music and you know, what, what why did you choose to be in the genre that you're in yeah um so what I guess what called me into music in the first place was when I had just recently moved out on my own, I was living in um, Oakland area, kind of like in Berkeley, Oakland area in NorCal. And I was going through already kind of like a rough time and stuff. And um, I think it was one night when I had gone out to an open mic night, you know, the vibes were incredible there. They had, um, it was just mind stimulating. Everything was just like right, right there in the heart. Like you could just really feel it. And that was something that I really needed at the time. Like it was just very healing. Everyone's words were just very soulful. And after I want to say probably like a couple of hours of me being there, there were a couple of rappers and of course, like I love their beat and everything because hip hop and dance music is something that I'm really into. But once they once they started like speaking and rapping over the beat and everything, I heard the lyrics and it was it was very misogynistic. It was very demeaning towards women. And that's something that just kind of really hits home for me. And yeah. there was something about it. It just it I physically couldn't be in that space anymore. And so I got up and left. And when I went back home, I was thinking to myself, you know, this happens all the time. There's so many people who just kind of like write about it and who say, you know, this happened to me. I hate when this happens or, you know, something like that. You hear those stories all the time, but I don't necessarily hear a whole lot of people like coming back and taking those beats that everyone says, I love to dance to, but I hate listening to the words and putting their own words in that, kind of combats all of the ideology, all of the 
um, misogyny that just kind of like spews a lot of hate that most women feel when they're listening yeah. to hip hop music. And so that's kind of what got me into writing the lyrics in the first place. And I didn't think that I was going to be creating my own beats, but soon after I was kind of like, you know what? I like to dance. I feel like I can make a beat. And as long as I can dance to it, I feel like it'll be okay. And so from then on is when I really started taking music more seriously. So that's interesting because a lot of times I talk to like, um, you know, like indie, indie musicians in the rock or alternative rock scene. And there are a lot of female singer songwriters mm -hmm. um, and they tend to have a voice and have be able to, you know, be more pro feminist or more pro woman or, or just this pro human and they can tell their story. But mm -hmm. it is, does seem like in hip hop, it seems to be more male dominated very misogynistic it's kind of this kind of machismo type of thing and there are, have been you know great female rappers that have kind of broken through and 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 taken on that mm -hmm. um but it seems that genre is more is is less so uh you know it seems like in in the kind of alternative rock zone there's a lot of female-led artists that are doing a lot of work they're actually getting more prominence than some of the male artists nowadays so do you feel like in hip hop that you're on a new wave of female artists that are doing that type of work that you see in other genres? I I think so. I mean, honestly, I think the the hip hop scene has started to become a lot more open for more female rappers. Like you just start to see more and more of them become more popular. There have always been a lot of female rappers in the genre, but I think as far as them being on like megastar status, there's really yeah. only been like a one, like there's one place for one person or one female to, to be. Yeah. And that place has to be an over-sexualized, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, you Queen, Latifah, Queen Latifah always had this kind of vibe where she wasn't able to get around that. And kind mm -hmm. of this kind of pro-African kind of, you know, just like, yes. a, like a black power kind of vibe during like this, the Spike Lee, gen, you know, time period. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in, I'm in my 50s. So there was like the early hip hop period where you did have some strong women like Salt and Pepper and they were out there and they were able to do something that was less. So kind of what you see now with Cardi B and some of the other artists that, have, you know, they're out there, but they've kind of taken this kind of a different take at it <laughs> than what Queen Latifah was doing. Yeah. So I, kinda, I like what you're doing because you're kind of going back to that um, where, where, you know, I hear that kind of vibe where you're, you're taking on some kind of you know, powerful role and, yeah. and you're having a voice. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. That's what's really interesting. Cause you know, I'm a progressive electronic musician, you know, my, my I, Funkadelic, you know, <laughs> Sunrod, Coltrane, that's kind of where I live, mm -hmm. but I have an appreciation for hip hop because hip hop takes a lot of funk. Yeah, you know? they take a lot of a lot of jazz. They they mix a lot of genres, so it's interesting. You know, being a keyboardist and a, and a synthesis, you know, I, I can understand. Mm -hmm. You know how you know the sampling that a lot of hip hop people take comes from you know James Brown and Funkadelic, like I said, and some other like classic soul albums and things like that. Mm -hmm. So. When you get into your music production, have you gotten really deep into like digital audio workstations? Like, what are your tools? What What do you do? Yeah. So, for when you record. So, um, so all of my stuff is just like me using samples. I'm unfortunately have not been gifted with being able to play an instrument, um, and so most of my stuff is um, 
based on like theory, I, I tried to study a little bit of the musical theory. I learned a lot just from listening to other artists and like how they create. And um, I'm just really inspired when I listen to different beats and the melodies that each of the different beats have, because um, like you said, hip hop does have a lot of funk um, influence, but I think it, it has a lot of different genres that all kind of like come together in a melting pot and it's, you can just get so creative with, you know, all the different sounds. Um, one that I've heard that was really cool was like bagpipes that have been turned into kind of like a trap beat. And so it's just, that's like one of the most fun things is being able to take, um, you know, a melody or any kind of instrumentation that's typically used in a different genre and kind of like chop it and EQ it and um, manipulate it in a beat that is very, you know, either funky or very rhythmic or just very danceable. And so I think that is um, one of the most fun things I do. And I do use FL Studios, so. Yeah, I was wondering if you're using like a groove box, like an MPC, like an Akai MPC or or 707 or but using yeah i mean that it does are famous in the league all hip-hop artists you go back you know one of my favorite groups was like public enemy and the bomb squad and their choice of sampling and layering was super innovative and it was a cross between like noise you know this like taking like noise samples and screeching sirens and all kinds of weird found sounds along with like funkadelic and Hendrix and all kinds of other things. They just grabbed everything. And it, that that's always been kind of my, my starting point where like, wow, you can really get creative with sampling um, with what, what they did and what NWA did too. You know, that was like back in the day, I was like, wow, you can really go somewhere um, with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So do you use a MIDI controller or do you do you just in the grid? when you construct and do your sampling right now it's all in the grid i would like to get a midi sometime soon um i think that would be really helpful with the creative process but as for right now it's mostly just kind of a click-in process and so i'll have it in my head i'll usually like record it you know mouth it out first and then um go back in and try and punch in those same notes and you know, so far it's it's been working for me, but I think a MIDI keyboard would definitely take me up a level. Yeah, it helps when you when you, if you have like like if you had like an eight oh eight type of recording capability where you can just like step record drum beats, and if you have a MIDI controller, you can kind of control where that's going to go, and then kind of tap it in. But being a keyboardist, like I just have all this gear, and I'm kind of an old school like Moog rolling guy. Yeah, and I got all this stuff just go crazy, but. Yeah, I mean, everything today with the big equalizer is, you know, I'm kind of old school. I still have my big stack of keyboards, like a Stevie Wonder type of thing, That's where we don't have to you don't have to have that. But but I kind of come from the time where you did have that. And I, I still love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do see that they, like, you know, this whole generation of new producers and musicians are able to, you know, use their laptops to be able to do stuff. That they, they kind of like the early hip hop guys were using like MPCs and they were using like 808s and TBO 303s to get that sound. You know, they would find it old Moogs and that were up for like a hundred dollars in the in the in the in the junk pile, and then 
figuring out how to build these beats. And it's, it's really cool how that's progressed where now it's become even more equalized where you can, you know, anybody can get into this music production world and have got the creativity to do something, then they can really, you can hear a new voices all the time. Um, but one thing I was wondering, like, do you start with your lyrics or you start with the beat? You know, that that's a question a lot of people ask me and it's, um, it alternates, I think, because um, I know typically what I like to do is start with my lyrics, um, just because the music I make, obviously, um, why I got into it is because like I have some kind of message or I have some kind of idea that I want to like, talk about and really expound on like in this three, four minutes. And I think that's really important for setting the tone of how I want the song to sound. And so um, I would say most of the time I do start with my lyrics, but there are definitely times where I come down here and all I'll have is like a title in mind and I'll start creating the beat and naturally the words just start coming because it's like, it's almost like writing an essay, but a very you know, a very rhythmic essay, obviously. And so, um, and so that's kind of my thought process on it is it all has to focus on what kind of message I have and the, and the mood that that message holds. And I think that message holds so much emotion that the beat naturally just kind of follows after it. Yeah. It's always interesting. I started as a musician with poetry. You know, mm-hmm. and then and then I I was a keyboardist, and I said, well, maybe I can combine the two. Yeah. And then the poem poems started turning into songs, but you know, in hip hop, it's like it's kind of like that beat poetry. It's kind of like Harlem Renaissance level kind of ideas. Um, and so you're taking like Langston Hughes, you know, that kind of like really socially aware, um, you know, motivation, which early hip hop had a lot of that. You know, like a message. Yeah. You know, but, you know the early hip hop was more like less misogynistic and more message oriented. Yeah. Um, and I kind of dig that and I kind of grew up with that. You know, I grew up with like the early, the really early rap where people were, you know, on vinyl DJs and people really crafting things from a lot of Funkadelic and a lot of Sly and the Family Stone, James Brown beats. And it was like, you know, a battle. It was like either you're kind of doing the dozens or they were saying something about the politics of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of inspiring. And then it kind of, you know, you get to the gangster rap era and you get to this other, you know, you got a whole different eras of all this kind of, you know, more machismo in the music. It's kind of turned off for me as a musician because I'm kind of like, I want to be positive. Can I grew up with like Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you grow up listening to his songs, The Key in Life and Inner Visions, and you're looking for something that's a little more positive. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, so it's like, I can understand. And I understood like when NWA, when they first came out, I was like, that's cool. But then they kind of went with the misogynistic stuff. And I said, that wasn't so cool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, I like the political stuff. I don't like, why do you have to go there? And, I, and it's always been disappointing. And I think it's great that, you know, women are coming in and saying, hey, you know, we don't, you don't have to do it like that. Yeah. You, 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 can, you can be respectful. You can say something. Why do you have to go there? Um, and I, I, that's why I like, you know, a lot of the people I interview are women. Because I'm trying to give women artists a better platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's. I mean, I think that really is the the thing to start focusing on now, too, for a lot of people in hip hop, because even at a lot of the shows, there was an article that was saying that, you know, when when you are more 
you know, vulgar in your words, especially towards women, you start to see your audience become a lot more um, predominantly male. And, and you, you do lose a lot of, you know, dollars that way. And so I think, and what these articles are starting to say now is like, even the economic value of having a more woman positive environment in hip hop is going to be, you know, the next steps for its evolution and everything. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's real important for artists to kind of remember, like, you know, you should be respectful of yourself. And then that also is like other people. And I think you're kind of disrespecting our whole history when you're so misogynistic. I, I think that, you know, you, you look at your grandmother, look at all the women in your family. Would you really feel comfortable saying what you're saying to your grandmother? You know, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, like, you know, I understand there's a whole thing where they think that that's how you get big, you know, then that's how you get somewhere. But I think that's got to, that vibe's got to change. Because, you know, now where we're in this kind of coronavirus time, I think people got to take it serious mm-hmm. and kind of start thinking about what we've been doing. Yeah. And and we you know, you know kind of look at what's going on. You know, now we have a black woman that's going to be you know vice president, and I think we've got to give respect to our sisters. You know, I, I think, we, and you got to respect yourself. Mm-hmm. And I would say a lot of people like when you do that, you're disrespecting yourself as well. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm glad that you're out there and you and you're doing very well. You know, with with what I've saw like the number of people listening to you on Spotify, you're doing very well for a new musician in 2020. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really cool that you found this, this voice. Did you have anybody that like helped you with your FL studio? Or you just kind of like, I'm going to do it myself. And you just studied up on what you liked and found out how to do it. Did you kind of just dive into it or did they have like mentors or people you work with? Um, all YouTube mentors, you know, YouTube will teach you everything. <laughs> um, but I, so yeah, when I first got into it, it was mostly, um, you know, like watching different tutorials on YouTube and then seeing, okay, this is how this person is, you know, step-by-step making a trap beat. And for me, I was like, okay, that's cool. But I also don't want it to sound like just, like another yeah just like another beat that you can sell online and everything like if I'm going to be here making beats specifically to match my lyrics and everything I want to be able to give it my own you know give it its own sparkle and its own personality and really have it mix well with the lyrics that I'm um you know that I'm rapping and singing over and so then I kind of started to just analytically listen to all of the different songs that I find um I guess most emotionally invoking and kind of like figure out all right what makes this chorus so big what makes this drop so hard what makes this like go boom why am I so um why is this like earworm so addictive for me and I think after a lot of like really close observation of all these artists, um, you know, creations, their, their beats and producers and everything, I start to figure out kind of how I fit into that and like how I can take a little bit of that sizzle and put it on my own creations and everything. And so ever since then, it's just really been like a building process. It's always just kind of like a layering process and, um, and so I think that's just 
I guess how I how I taught myself because I didn't really have anyone to sit down and show me like this is how you use this. I think you should probably have, um, you know, this is how you use compression. This is how you use EQ. This is how you use your, yeah. um, you know, all the different plugins that you are supposed to use and stuff. And so, um, yeah, a lot of it was just listen and learn, listen and learn and implement. That's interesting because if you talk to a lot of musicians, then you have the ones that went to Berkeley, you have the ones that you know went to a conservatory. But a lot of guys, you know, I, I've been playing in bands since I was like seventeen, and it's it's a lot of it like there's a lot of self-taught guitar players, yeah, you know, like self-taught keyboards, and you know, traditionally like African American like you know jazz and blues where I kind of like try to build from, you know, it's it's kind of just like you know playing by ear. You know, so I understand it's like it's interesting with like hip hop is that people are doing the same thing the blues guys did. You know, they kind of just picked up the instruments and they learned because once you own that instrument and your FL studio is like your instrument, you learn everything about it. And then you figure out by trial and error and what you want to do, it becomes like your your tool, becomes your voice. And, you know, it's the same way, you know, synthesizers. Are, are like in these studios but you know it's the same idea like i once you have a mode and you own it mm -hmm. you can you learn how to use it you know once you have fl studio or pro tools and you you own it then you have the ability to try everything yeah <laughs> and then figure out what's going to serve the song yeah that's true that's very true it's it's crazy to me because as much creativity as i think your dog gives you there's even more creativity in how you're and just like how you're recording your voice onto um like onto the song because the way that I try and think about it is like your voice is just another instrument that goes on top of it but it's the most important instrument and so even even the creativity that not only comes with um with your DAW and all of the instruments and all the manipulations that you have to learn on there like you really have to learn your own voice and like how you can play with it as well because that's going to make that's the that's the whole other side to the song and so it's it can be so have you have you dived into like different types of microphones because like rap is such a vocal like the like all vocalists are you know musicians you know mm -hmm. some people talk about all you know the guitar player the keyboard player the voice is is an instrument mm -hmm. and so in, in rap rappers they you know the voice is your instrument do you have have you did you spend a lot of time trying to figure out what microphones you wanted to use to capture your voice or what type of vocal effects you want to use? Because like in rap and hip hop, there's how you treat your voice in the mix is like a big core part of it. So did you spend a lot of research and figure out how you wanted to capture your voice? Um, I I did. I definitely took my time to look at what microphone I wanted. Um in the in the beginning, I had just gone into a studio and I had recorded my vocals because I feel like my like USB microphone was gonna do the job. And so I went in and I I'm not sure which it was a Newman microphone, but I couldn't remember which model I had used for my first song. But when I came back and I decided to actually upgrade because I ended up turning like my basement into a home studio mm -hmm. um it took me a while to figure out um which was going to be like in my price range and yeah. 
like you know what's going to be worth it like because I'm thinking this is going to be an investment and so I did a lot of research and I decided that I wanted to try out the um it was the ML1 by Slate Digital and yeah and so that one I know um I think they're signature model on there is the cg 800 i believe is what it's called um so yeah to kind of replicate the sony microphone and so i was thinking to myself you know even if even if like it doesn't completely sound like that microphone i'm okay and i'm pretty sure i'll have different options to play around with the other mic models on there and oh, yeah. so I went ahead and I got that one. And honestly, I've just been like really happy with the uh, performance that it's given me and all of the different options that it's given me. Even though it's not like a traditional microphone, it's still something that can really, um, it just allows your creativity to grow and stuff because there's so many different options that you do have with that program. So you've got like a, a microphone interface to your computer through FL Studio to capture that, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting with the home studios. Is like, I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what type of mics I wanted to use initially. You know, you know I ended up going with like a studio electronics, um, like on a, on a tripod with like a thing, to, like a sound um, muffling device on it. Just oh. kind of, yeah, like a shield, the shields that people have. But yeah, I spent a lot of time doing that. I had some wireless gear, but like I found, it's like, I, I got to use like a condenser mic, like a really high quality mic. When I did my initial recordings, I started with some like some the base Roland mics I got that weren't, you know, that Roland's a good company, but their mics are not what other companies are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes sense if you don't really make mics that great. So I ended up um, me moving to a better mic. And it's always like, you know, the mic is so important, you know, to, to capture your sound. You go look at the music history. You see yeah. all these, you know, Motown the mics that like Smokey used or the mics that like uh you know the Marvin Gaye used to go look at you know it's Frank Sinatra like wow you know there are thousands and thousands of dollars <laughs> you're like yeah, okay, you yeah. that in a big studio but there's a lot of cool mics today you can get that can equate to some of those um so there's like for the people who are doing it themselves in their home studios and their bedroom studios you know this is a really cool age where you know the technology has allowed people to get really good mics for mm-hmm. not such a crazy crisis. So that that's kind of cool so that we can get people to, you know, be independent, you know, producers out of their bedroom studios and, and get really cool material. That yeah. Make it on a radio. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because even when I was, um, like, I think it was when I had first started getting into microphones, like looking up, researching everything that you need for them. Um, I was listening to... Uh, Tracy Chapman's Revolution, um, and uh, I was I was just listening, you know, in my little um, earphones, and uh, I was like, oh my gosh, like listen to the voice on there. Like I have to I have to figure out what kind of microphone she used. And so I had saw that it was one of the Newman Forty Seven microphones and i was like oh wow okay i wonder how much one of those are and i look at him like oh okay this is like the pinnacle microphone of the century okay so 
So maybe not that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of the like ten thousand dollar microphones from eight thousand dollars. Yeah, it's like yeah, our synthesizers. Yeah. Like I'm a synthesis, right? There are some modes that cost thirty thousand dollars. You know, I don't have one of those. I, <laughs> yeah, I have the ones yeah. like in the thousands of dollars. But like, yeah, in the <laughs> old days, you know, they had these ones that filled the room like a like a like a big mainframe. Um, and you know, if you're a synthesis, you get to one of those if you go to a studio and you're like, wow, you're in like dreamland because yeah. you have one of these like crazy ones that like Stevie Wonder used. Um, but yeah, the, the, the things that have become more equal because you can get technology where you, you can equate to that stuff. But it's always cool if you can get to a studio and actually get your hands on like the real deal, like a Neve board or something like somebody's using a real Neve board. They kind of bored though. That's Fleetwood Mac used <laughs> on oh, rumors, you know. You know, so, so you're like well, that's kind of what you want. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. That, <laughs> if you can, you know. But um, so like in terms of the, your influences and reference points, can you kind of name check some of the people that that influence your style? Um. Yeah. So I would say some of my influences. Um, definitely rihanna like i think i think a lot of people are probably inspired by her um i think specifically when i heard her in lemon in um pharrell song i think just hearing her voice in that song was like whoa this is like that's that's like it's it's hitting me some kind of way and yeah, I, like I think the way she delivers <laughs> yeah it was um you know, it was, of course, like, most of it was manipulation stuff, because I had watched, um, what was it, the producer, I believe it was, or I think it might have been the mixing engineer, who was um, working on that song, and he was saying, like, of course, like, Rihanna's not necessarily a, um, like, a rapper, but I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to be able to manipulate it in the way to where if someone hears it for the first time, you're going to be like, oh she was cold on that and I think that it it was definitely inspiring and so I'm really happy that she did have a verse like that because that honestly was a huge influence in just kind of like my sound and my um and my style and everything um there there are definitely other artists that I like to take from as far as like the sound and everything but again people always are it's easy to fall in love with the sound but what they stand for is a little bit harder and so for me like I get really selective with who I actually um you know I guess like look up to and would say that person is an influence of mine um but I would say Miley Cyrus honestly like I know I know people judge her and have all different kinds of varying opinions yeah, on her mercury old dear you know some people look at her and they can have a lot of opinions but yeah as an artist and she has capability so you like you can look at her life you can look at her decisions you can look at what she's done but you can look at her work you know and you know I think as musicians sometimes we can look at the work and then we understand like the social ramifications of the other things, but you can respect the work sometimes, you know, it's like, okay, well, I can understand that I can be influenced by it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there's, yeah, I would say even that, like knowing when to consider an artist separate from their work and everything is, 
it's a it's a great area. It's definitely like a controversial topic, but I would say even through like all the controversy that she does have and everything, like her artwork specifically, um, specifically her last album, I believe, the She Is Coming album. Like I really appreciated the music that was on that album. Mm-hmm. And um and so I'm I would say it's kind of like a sound that is between those two kinds of voices and I don't necessarily base my like my creativity or my artwork off of their creations I would say it's something that you know I just kind of have an affinity towards just that sound and so naturally it's just the way that it comes out and everything so I would say those are probably like, oh, go ahead. No, yeah, I think a lot of artists, like you have your reference points or influences, Mm -hmm. you know, because like you think about like the Rolling Stones, they they built off of like Robert Johnson, you know, all the great blues guys, you know, all these great, great black artists. And they kind of took it and they took it somewhere else. They took it and they kind of, turned it into their English version of it. Mm-hmm. And and then they it became, just like the way Elvis Presley, without, you know, he he kind of people say, well, he stole all this black music. But he actually elevated rock and roll and increased the the, the size of the rock and roll audience. And everybody can like, like hate it or not hate it. But when you actually look at it as a historian, with that Elvis created kind of like this idea of the one named superstar. Elvis, you know, you get Prince, you get Madonna, but you know, he's the first one mm-hmm. and he kind of crossed and that crossover built the whole audience to be, you know, set it up for the Beatles, set it up for all the stones, set it up for all these big bands. And the idea that you have these big groups today, you know, is because of what he did. Um, and so you can look at it in, in the negative ways and the negative aspects of what happened. Um, but yeah, when you look at music, it's, it's always like you look at the history and you kind of take like a reference point and you don't have to say, well, I'm, I'm a Xerox of that. It's like it's a feeling. Mm-hmm. You kind of pick up a feeling you know, and you can interpret stuff all the time. Yeah, definitely. I think that is why it is important to, you know, like at least reference your influences or um, I guess just kind of like your first beginnings of when it's like that that part that hits you at first because we all start from something we're all inspired by something and i think when it comes to like the politics behind music and everything whether it's like appropriation um like the issue of appropriation then it's always good to make sure that you are giving credit where it's due and so i think that's something that people are starting to realize moving forward and everything because now I think now it's a lot more widely known that Elvis did have um you know African-American influences in his music so I would say it's it's definitely an important thing for many artists to think about and to you know voice as well because you know they're creating the platform and if you if you are taking um if you are taking influences from other places that specifically are underrepresented or aren't as popular yet, then you want to use that platform to give people, you know, their, their moment to shine as well. Just like you're being, um, just like you're able to shine. Yeah. 
So I think yeah, it was always good. Like well, I always appreciate that Rolling Stones actually have spent a lot of time supporting a lot of blues guys. They've actually you know paid for some of their medical care and like pushed um, you know making sure they get their royalties and pushed you know relationships. Keith Richards has a lot of relationships with a lot of mm-hmm. blues guys in, in uh, from the U.S. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool when you see these bigger guys realize that they built their whole fame on that, and maybe they should give back. Yeah, <laughs> but um. But the whole thing that's interesting is like it, within like all genres, you know, people like if you look at sampling and people saying, well, you're taking this idea from another band and you're taking it and, and pushing it. But all music is an appropriation of something, you know, like almost every musician, if you ever talk to like you talk to the guys who created hit songs, they've taken, you know, a lo- really good musician can take a line from another song that somebody else wrote and kind of rewrite it. Mm-hmm. And then have a different spin on it, and it's not stealing; it's inspiration. You know, it's that's it's kind of like what happens in hip hop with the sampling. Is something guitar players and you know people who play musician instruments have done this forever. You know, that's that's kind of how you build songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it's not not I, I don't see it that differently when you think about actual music creation. Because everything that's in music is like a variation of whatever started it. Um, so there's always somebody taking some P-Funk line or taking a uh, Chuck Berry line or taking a, uh, you know, like a Bowie line. People just take lines and then they rework them and then it becomes something new. And it's, it's like an evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's been happening for, you know, centuries far back than even our own modern day music production and everything. And so that's definitely something that I don't want to say music is recycled, but it definitely has reincarnations. Yeah, it gets reinterpreted. And there, you know, there, there are lines and songs. Like it was interesting. Um, like I'm into the band, you know, a famous band I used to play with Dylan, and they had like a, a song called "The Weight" that it actually came from a Curtis Mayfield line. That that Robbie Robertson, the guitar player for the band, he actually reinterpreted a Curtis Mayfield line mm-hmm. from the impressions and turned it into a different song that had like an Americana vibe. Mm-hmm. So here was this soul song, but when you actually look at the the way he, the, the actual notes, it's the same structure, but it's kind of reworked in a totally different genre and ended up, you know, being a hit, but it wasn't like a, a ripoff. It was like, it was somebody that loved that song and he name checked that his, his influence was Curtis Mayfield, but it's this interesting. So like when you hear rap and sampling and hip hop, I can understand, you know, that type of relationship, like where you find something, the sound, and you you re, you know, you bring it into the new age in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and musicians do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's something that some, is misunderstood by some people. Like you know, they don't they they all were sampling this and that. I I have samplers on the stuff I use. I like to like rework things and change the time signatures and you know try to warp things from the all kinds of like time warping um, was what I, I use my samplers for, but sampling is a really good tool. And, and some musicians are purist about it all. They don't want to do it, but it, it's a tool that you can use like for anything. Like you use a piano, you use a bass, you use whatever. Oh yeah. It's gonna serve. Oh yeah. It's definitely something that it does take a lot of skill to be able to do, to make some, a really good piece out of it as well. Like knowing which parts to take, which to incorporate, where to, you know, how to manipulate yeah. it and everything. So it's definitely an artwork that should be respected. Yeah. 
it's not like ice ice babe you know it's not at least like lifting a, a buoy queen line you know there's, <laughs> there's a lot more work than that to most yeah. hip-hop they, they you know we, if you get lazy and you just take the, the whole thing then you're like okay well that maybe that doesn't take a lot of work but but most of the people that use samples don't do that yeah they, they do a very creative uh you know musician levels you know that it is is a musician craft to be able to do that yeah um, yeah definitely so have you before corona or were you playing live were you doing like live performances anywhere i was scheduled for a couple and uh, then it hit and so honestly i have just been releasing streams now and i'm really really looking forward to the alternative shows i know um I had first seen out in LA, they were doing kind of like drive-in concerts and everything. And Oh, so you're thinking of jumping on something like that? I'm thinking about it. I know a couple of musicians that I know in town um, have been able to start doing that. And so I think that might be something that I start looking into. Um, it'll just be, it'll be a very interesting first performance experience. So... Yeah, but I am definitely looking forward to after the virus is over so that I can do more shows a little bit more freely without, you know, all of the concerns. So when you do a show, what's your, like, live setup? Do you use, like, a CDJ? Do you go out with your, you know, with your FL studio and kind of, like, you know, use it as your main backing tracks and then sing over? Do you have, like, somebody running it like a DJ or how how do you do your show? Um. I think, well, if I were to plan it, um, I'd probably have a, my DJ there being able to play the tracks and everything. Um, but I haven't necessarily gotten to the point where I'm able to plan out a whole set yet. Mm-hmm. But you would think you maybe you would have like a DJ and then be able to sing in front. You wouldn't do it all yourself. Yeah. You'd have like another person to help you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would want a DJ there. Yeah, it's, that's, it seems like, you know, it, it's interesting because I've, I've been in clubs in New York um, and I'm kind of an old school musician. Like I say, I have my big stack of keyboards and I'd be there with all the kind of next generation people with their, with their you know, their Ableton controllers. With You know, they had these like grid based controllers mm-hmm. on the on stage and with the Pioneer CDJs and the grids. And and I'm out there with my modes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, that's, that's cool. And, but yeah, it's kind of like I'm, I'm kind of like a blast from the past, and I got to still do a sound check. You know, I got to set everything up. I got road cases. I got roadies. It's, it's like a band, you know. But um, it's interesting today that you can you can have a more mobile setup because they, the mm-hmm. traditional kind of rock setup is you need roadies, you need a van, you got all this gear, you got to do a sound check. There's all this stuff you got to do. It's like, it's a lot of work and you got to carry all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that you can have artists that don't have to have all that overhead. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you can get, you know, to a place quicker and faster. And I think it's just, you know, you know, I have to take down, take, probably take it like an hour, take all my stuff down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so it's like it's kind of cool to see where music has gotten in terms of the technology where you don't have to have all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I know. They they say like you can be a bedroom superstar at this point and do everything remotely, either from your computer, from your phone. It's just it's such an open platform now that 
you know, it is, it is great. I definitely like see some of the cons to it, but I think as far as like really allowing the creativity to spread and let other people be heard who wouldn't typically be able to, I think that's a huge pro that I think so far has outweighed most of the cons. Yeah, well, even back in the day when like hip hop started, and I heard the message, you know, it's like the people scratching on the vinyl. He was no, you know, those old DJ setups, you know, and maybe they had like an eight hundred eight or a nine hundred nine or a TBO three. They would have physical hardware like that, but it was still boxes, like drew boxes, mm-hmm. you know, with 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 a with a turntable, and it was like they were equalized even back then. It was like okay, well, these guys can be on stage with these boxes and this turntable. And, you know, in the, in the band, the traditional four-piece band, you know, they got to have the big martial amps and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to have that. Um, and and it was kind of equalizing that. It's like you could get more urban youth to do work and get out there. And they didn't didn't have to have that whole thing like Barry Gordy set up with Motown where there was like a gate. You know, you had to get through mm-hmm. Smokey and, and Marvin and, and, and those guys had to kind of gatekeep you before you could get anywhere and the funk brothers were doing all the music and you were kind of locked into that. Um, and now you can kind of like, Oh, you don't you have to be locked into what Smokey says. Mm-hmm. Not that that's a bad thing, but <laughs> <laughs> some of that stuff's pretty good. But um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I know. Yeah. I, I think it's a really good thing. Honestly, it, I think when, when you're able to equalize opportunities for everyone, it just makes everything so much better because like like we go back to inspiration and influence there's so many more people now to inspire to influence to collaborate with others and it just it bores whole different genres like a whole different genre to where now it's like a lot of people don't want to be labeled into one specific genre even though it might make marketing terms a little bit harder but it's definitely going in the right direction I think what I, what I like about this podcast, I mean, I talk, I've talked to bands in Germany, people in Tokyo, people in Australia, Netherlands, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I've actually been able to collaborate with the people I've talked to. I've been able to actually go and work on a project. And it's just interesting. Like, I'm just on a cell phone and a laptop and I'm suddenly talking to somebody in Belgium or I'm talking to somebody in Australia. And mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't cost the kind of money what it costs to do that. You know, 10 years ago you you know on a phone call you couldn't afford it yeah um yeah and then suddenly you find out that, that you've got a connection to somebody in sweden you know and then or you could go do a show in tokyo because you know because you, you met somebody and now through this kind of online thing and now you can collaborate with a new wave band in germany and a hip-hop band in you know orlando or something it's like wow it's like there's, there's no boundary i know you, you so, so do you find um that you want to do collabs with people outside of hip hop or you focus more on a hip hop like a, a, a rock band or even like, you know, more riot girl band or any other, any kind of genre would, would you be willing to like integrate like your music into like other genres? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think that's, that's honestly something that I've been trying to experiment with. Um, especially more so with my later songs because I think um, I think you really can incorporate almost anything you want to into hip-hop if you know how to um, like if you know how to compose it right and so I you know there's there's different artists I don't know if you've heard of like Jacob Banks 
but you know his kind of voice and the emotion that you hear in his voice and in his songs is something that I think it would be really cool to try and figure out how you could put an emotion like that into a hip-hop rhythm like into um into you know a dance beat something that you can kind of bounce to and it's 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 just interesting for me anyways to try and figure out okay if we put a little bit of chop on this how can we do this and um I would say like different remixes by different like EDM DJs are really inspiring but I think I would probably want to take it a little more old school hip hop um and not necessarily so much of the new synth wave um or like like new wave like take it back to like a blondie like you know duran duran flock of seagulls like early 1999 prince type like new wave which is not exactly synth wave it's like the it's the early kind of iteration (laughs) yeah i can um i can see that it's it's something that i don't know it kind of comes like song by song basis but when i'm so like if I hear the melody or if I hear the vocals and stuff, I could probably, you know, match it to another beat or match it to another instrument. Um, but I would say there's a lot of like 80s songs, of course, that would be. Yeah. You know, perfect. Yeah. That new, yeah. Wave, that new romantic era. And I kind of grew up in the era and that's why mm-hmm. I got into synthesizers. I got into these big rolling Jupiters and, you know, uh, these polyphonic analog synths are the kind of sound of that era. There yeah, was, there were certain synths, you know, like the Jupiter Eight from Roland. The the there was the the um, sequential circuits, Prophet Five, Oberheim's. These were like the synths that created that sound. That you, if mm-hmm. you heard like the Human League or Duran Duran, there's certain synthesizers that made that sound, and you don't hear it anymore because those were very specific instruments that make those sounds. And yeah. it's hard to actually replicate them because they were, it's not like the digital stuff today. It was all analog. And and, mm-hmm. and that's why that stuff sounds so big. Um, and it has like a different sound than some of the digital stuff you hear from EDM. It doesn't have that. It, it's a different type of synth, but it doesn't have what the Moogs and the Rollins had. And that's where I kind of live in that world of that, that kind of bringing those synths back. You get bands like churches, they actually use those old school synths again. Um, so you get that kind of sound, they're kind of bringing it back. You get, you know, there's more, there's more and more bands trying to bring that sound back. And there's sent to some of those companies that were out of business, they've come back. And they're mm-hmm. actually making those synths again that have that sound. So there's yeah. a lot of people doing it in Europe and in, you know, LA and, in, 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 you know, in, in Belgium and you know, all over the, you know, in the, in the East, um, there's a lot of synth wave. Or more new romantic new wave the kind of 80s mm-hmm. sound is really big right now it, 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 it seems to be coming back a lot yeah i think the little nas panini song that came out was it last year maybe two years ago i think it might have been last year um i think that one was definitely one that was like a really great enmeshment between the two genres so they had sampled in bloom by nirvana i believe yeah yeah i like that yeah and it was just it was a song that you know it definitely had 
a very it had that 80s feel to it like that that dark but also kind of uplifting feel like how people would describe a lot of those songs but it also had the rhythm that you can you know kind of like feel in your step as well and so I thought they did a really good job on that song yeah I like that kind of Depeche Mode New Order Joy Division feel where it's 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 got this kind of brightness but then there's a little darkness so it's kind of gothic and dark and bright kind of like the cure was you know this idea that but the pest mode actually did a better job of that. They were they were really good into kind of having this kind of dark new wave. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that that really kind of you know it's my last synthesizer play was really key in on like new order and the pest mode because they were like mm-hmm. wow they really used the sense to great effect to have that kind of emotional use of synthesizers. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like I was looking at your three releases this year equals worship the booty and cracked heads and. Is they are these part of like a bigger project, or are you are you primarily doing singles? Is that what your focus, or are you working on toward an album? I will be working towards an album right now. Since I am just starting off, it's easier for me to really focus in on one song, especially since I'm you know doing it mostly all by myself. Um, well, yeah, I'm doing it all by myself, <laughs> but it's um, I think. Uh, doing an album is definitely in my future it's just a matter of when for me because um when I do do an album I want to have it be kind of like a cohesive you can listen through you know one song is supposed to be referenced to another part in the album so I want it to be like its own project because I know a lot of artists now they do have know 20 something songs on their album and they don't necessarily all go with each other um but for me i think if i were to do an album that would be my intention be like a, otherwise like a Kendall lamar had like butterfly type of thing we, we, he, he's very good at doing these concepts um mm-hmm. and hip-hop has been you know doing that a lot you get like you know tyler the creator earl sweatshirt you know a lot of these guys frank ocean they've done these album album themed projects that yeah. when you listen to it it's where rock and roll has kind of gotten away from that and you know mm-hmm. even the top 50 has gotten away from that but yeah, there's a lot of hip-hop artists or soul artists that are doing themed records uh, mm-hmm. and so you're, it seems like you want to do that more concept-oriented album kind of like a, you know hip-hop sergeant pepper <laughs> um yeah it seems yeah. To be like the hip-hop world has kind of di- really dived in on the idea of like a Pink Floyd or a Sgt. Pepper and a lot of hip hop albums are, are concept albums. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of cool because like that, I, I grew up like in concept records. Um, and it's interesting that, that, you know, hip hop genre has kind of dived into it and been able to be successful with it more mm-hmm. so than some of the other classic places where it came from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um yeah, that's definitely something that, I would want, but I know that especially like modern day music releasing has been a little bit more harder to do. (laughs) Yeah, I think they focus a lot more on the singles because it's just, it is, it really is a lot easier to market a single rather than an album just because a lot of people now they'll hear it on either a playlist yeah, or everything's playlist oriented everything's like you know it kind of reminds me yeah. this era is kind of like the 50s if you went back in the 50s things were not album oriented 
everything was single oriented and then you get an album that was a collection of a bunch of singles. If you look at all the Motown records, all the chess records, they were all, you know, if, if you got a, like, if you got a Smokey Robinson album, it was just a bunch of hits kind of thrown mm-hmm. together. It didn't really have a theme. Um, and that's the way it was done until, like, the Beatles kind of came out. And then they started, you know, then that was the era of, oh, you can have theme-based collections of songs that are interrelated. They don't, like, I mean, Sgt. Pepper isn't really a concept album, but it flows. And so it's thought of as being one of the first ones because it kind of every song kind of flows into each other, but it doesn't really. Mm-hmm. Say, what does it really mean? You can't really pin it down. To what does that album mean? Um, is a psychedelic thing, um, but it doesn't have like the kind of meaning like the Wall or Pink Floyd, you know, any of their projects or the Who with Tommy and Quadrophenia. Those are like full concepts that actually mm-hmm. have like a statement. Um, but you know, the album or your time of the seventies and eighties is like. You know, you had albums from Carol King and, you know, you had albums from James Taylor. You had all these big, you know, artists, Elton John. They were doing these theme-based records that didn't necessarily tell a story, but everything kind of felt together. Even like Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, you know, isn't exactly a concept, but it feels like one. Um, mm-hmm. um, so it seems like the hip-hop seems to have that space, though. And so I think as you get bigger in, in, in the game, I think people aren't afraid of seeing hip hop artists do that. And I think they're more willing to listen to that um, in the hip hop genre than other genres. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. I can definitely see that. I think it, it makes kind of a distinct difference. I would say to listen to all the intention that these people like put in the songs and exactly the order that they wanted to release them, stuff like that. Um, rather than you know first coming out with just a single after a single after a single and everything so there's yeah i think it's something that i am looking forward to work up towards i think now in my beginning stages as far as like having content to actually say hey this is who i am this is my sound and everything and again for a lot of marketing purposes and being able to keep up with consistency and everything. I think singles are probably my best bet for now, but there's definitely something in the works for, like you said, one of those concept albums coming. So I'm excited for that. So so of your three singles on, on Spotify, which one is the one you think is like your signature sound at the moment? Like if you were gonna point somebody to your 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 best song or the song you like the most that you've written so far, that's out there, which one of the songs is the one that you really feel is like best represents you as an artist? Yeah, that's, it's a hard one because I know there's going to be, you know, different moments where it's going to be different emotions that I'm feeling, of course. Um, I would say at the very, very current moment, probably Cracked Heads is one that I identify the most with it was like it was my first release it was one that I put a lot of thought into I put a lot of thought into all my lyrics but that one definitely had a lot of references in it had a lot of um just like thought out scenarios and I think it kind of flowed and hopefully told a little bit of story and everything so 
I would say cracked heads and even the mood that the song has um, is one that really resonates with my, um, you know, persona as an artist. So I was wondering, like, I seen your SoundCloud. Do you like use your SoundCloud to like work out like projects before you bring them to the bigger streaming services? Is that where you kind of have like a lab and, and try things out at that level and then move things over to like, you know, Apple Music and Spotify? How do you, how do you, how do you use like, like SoundCloud? Yeah, so SoundCloud, um, I'm not, I'm honestly just not too big on using SoundCloud. I probably put more of my efforts towards, um, towards Spotify just because I think that community is where a lot of people are paying attention to where they are listening to music and I know SoundCloud definitely still has its audience and I know um that 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 is where a lot of artists especially who are starting out have been going but I think as far as you know being able to monetize your streams and being able to really get your name out there on playlists and everything is what I'm focused on right now yeah and so I think that's why I've put most of my efforts towards marketing on Spotify rather than on SoundCloud. Yeah, I mean, I started on on SoundCloud and I kind of got to this podcast because I was able to get to it from there. But yeah, I mean, most of my marketing efforts are on Apple Music, Tidal, or Spotify. So that kind of goes toward mm-hmm. what are your thoughts of the way streaming services are versus <clears throat> kind of like the old school label systems. Uh, mm-hmm. like record labels used to take an artist They'd sign them, give them an advance, maybe give them up to three albums to make it and then drop them if they didn't. Yeah. Um, um, so th- it seems like today you've, you've got, you don't have that expiration date that you used to get if you got picked up by, by mm-hmm. the labels that you can keep on working in this industry as long as you want to as an indie artist. But then there's like other things that are pro and con. Well, what are your thoughts? <sighs> I think, honestly, the labels work, the way that they are working, I would say most of them, at least the ones that I've heard about, is like, you know, it when you have someone in debt, especially like with the advances that you're expecting um, these artists to be able to pay back off and everything, when you're in debt, you basically owe everything just to get out of that debt yeah and it's so much of a control game and they control you with you know your funds which is pretty much everything else in life um and when it comes to music i think especially like as an artist hearing not only are you in debt to say like your landlord not only are you in debt to your um, car payments and everything, but then (laughs) yeah, your job, you're now in debt too. And it's, it's just ridiculous. I think what so many labels are doing now, because they don't develop you as an artist. No, that's not there anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Like they're not, they're not going to help you achieve anything. They're basically your bank. At this point, it's like you need a loan. We have a loan. Here you go. You go and do your thing. We'll see you when you're ready to pay us back with interest. And I think 
it's so great now that a lot of independent artists have been staying independent or they have been dropped by a label and they are still able to keep up their reputation and keep their name, you know, in somewhat of popular, uh, you know, in somewhat of a popular yeah. culture, but it, it's still, it's still also very hard to make it into, you know, that a list without a label. And so I think that's the next thing that independent, the whole independent artist movement has to find a way to kind of combat because you know, with money, obviously comes power, comes fame, comes everything. So they will be able to pay a name to get to the top or um, they will be able to, you know, buy back their sales or purchase their streams and downloads to shoot an artist's name to the top and everything. But I think what independent artists have been able to do and as big as they have gotten and to where or to where a lot of them now are able to just say, I'm going to stay independent. I can do this on my own. I have social media. I have, um, you know, I have the fan base that I need. I have the loyal fan base that I need to be able to express myself creatively and still make a living. Like that. What's great about like the indie labels, like you get big bands like Pearl Jam, Radiohead. They dropped the you know, Wilco. They they're all these big traditional rock bands. They dropped their labels because they found out that playing the label game of you gotta sell a million, two million copies of a record, you're only getting like ten cents off of every record. Um, mm-hmm. If you go and go independent and you just sell two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand, but you went and paid for that run of vinyl or CDs yourself, you can make more money if you mm-hmm. own that process yourself. Yep. Then, then you made selling two million, and that's what yep. some of these bands found. Bands like you know, Pearl Jam, and like, like I said, like they they found out like, wow, I don't have to sell a million to make the money I used to make. I can make that money with a smaller hit. You know, I I don't have to have that much to do that, and then I can tour, and I can sell merch and sell T-shirts, and then I'm controlling it. And I'm not paying the label back. You know, yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people have figured out. The only other thing that happens is sometimes, okay, the thing that a lot of these record labels still have is the distribution deal, you know, mm-hmm. where they can get you into more markets. And so, you know, you might work a distribution deal, but it's not like the old style, you know, promotional deal um, yeah. where you were on the label and you had artist management, you had this and that. It's more like get me into these stores, get me into these warehouses, so people can order me order my music. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, and I'm still doing it. I'm still, you know, the one yeah. in charge at that point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that's kind of like okay, well, we, we use use what the label can do for that, but I don't want anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want that other stuff, you know. And I'll get my own booking agent. I'll get my own tour manager. I'll get my own stuff. I'm going to get the label. I'm going to get my own, I'm going to do the research and find somebody who's going to, you know, be, you know, honest with the accounting, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is like yeah. the classic story for a lot of rock bands found out like that their management was taking like 70% of the money, <laughs> you know, and that's, yeah, and, and like 30% big bands, like, you know, the who and Led Zeppelin, you know, these big, big bands, they found out that their guys were stealing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the Motown guys found out a long time ago. They they were always getting ripped off, but um, even the big, big, big rock bands were getting ripped off. Um, yeah. 
so yeah, it's cool to see the equalization of, of being able to get out there. Uh, like, you know, Spotify to me is kind of like, like the radio, like the way college radio was that you can get, mm-hmm. everybody can get all these indie label bands out. I grew up, you know, with like REM on the radio, on a college radio station, some college kid liked them and played them. And, mm-hmm. you know, they got built up until they got signed by Warners. But, you know, th- that's how people got out there. And it seems like like this, these streaming services are kind of like what the college radio stations used to do in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they yeah. get they, all these bands that weren't in the top 10. They were at like the bottom 500. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, they you know, from Talking Heads, R.E.M., to all these like bands that suddenly became big because, you know, that's where all the creativity was happening, you know, where, mm-hmm. where people were trying new things. And that's why I think it's cool about what's going on with this kind of market is like you get a lot of indie. I mean, I just talked to like indie bands or indie artists, and that's where all the all the cool work is happening. Um, yeah, I I think that is that it is really interesting to put those two together. I haven't thought about it that way before, but yeah, I would say it is the only thing that. I think once I started learning the industry that kind of bothered me is that you really aren't paid all of your royalties that you should be getting paid, especially for streams. And then also that we need to fight for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as, as you start to see more artists revenue coming from streams more so than anything else, you know, besides merch and all of that and shows, but it is starting to become more of a like of a staple stream of income. And I think the fact that more and more um, streaming services are starting to decrease their royalty payout isn't, I just don't think that's a fair thing to. No, because they, they market our stuff, you know, and they use it in ways that, you know, if you, you know, people have done accountings on them and they're kind of been, just as shady as some of the record labels were in the 70s. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think people need to respect musicians and we need to get paid, you know, in the same way people buy Xbox and PlayStation 5, you know, video games uh, and they're willing to pay $50, but they can't pay more than like 0.06 of a penny for a stream. Um, something's mm-hmm. got to change where music is valued. Like, you know, I grew up in the time where you had to go get, you know, you wanted to pick a Purple Rain, I picked it up on in vinyl. When I bought Purple Rain, the day it came out, I, I bought it as a vinyl record. Um, mm-hmm. And that was like, that's how you had to get it. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, you know, back then, you know, he, he wasn't getting the kind of money, you know, he, he got a pretty good percentage of that vinyl, but nowhere near where you would think you should get, like 10 cents off like yeah. a $7 thing. So even then, mm-hmm. it wasn't so great. Um, but yeah, it's gotten even worse. Now it's not even 10 cents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not even a cent for a song. So it's just. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man. Something's got to change where we can get the value of our art to be equivalent to other things that people purchase. You know, really, somebody's mm-hmm. willing to spend $100 for a pair of sneakers, uh, you know, $50 for a video game. Can we get like a dollar for a song? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's the thing too, is like most of your money, personally, I feel like most of your money shouldn't be coming from merch. I feel like yeah. that is a side thing. If people really love your music, which is, you know, the primary thing that you should be 
making that you should be known for and everything. That's where most of your money should be coming from. And merch is like something on the side that people, you know, they really enjoyed it so much to where they paid that extra, you know, $50 for your shirt or something like that. And and the fact that merch is like one of the biggest the only way income especially now with corona the only way you're making it is your (laughs) t-shirts and your post posters and your buttons um but the other thing i found is like if i go run a small batch like a thousand copies of a vinyl of a family electric coast album and i go to new york and i play i can make more money at like doing two or three shows in new york and selling all those um than i do on any of the streaming services um, so of your vinyls that you yeah vinyl people are willing to buy vinyl because it gives them something they it's very tangible because if, yeah. you, if you set up a project and you've got a lyric sheet you've got really good art then your fans connect with it in a way that really it solves the problem it gets them to listen to your whole project mm-hmm. it gets them that something tactile that they can really feel and they can get emotional about and you can connect and so yeah. that that I think is the key is is to get the physical version of your album, whether it's a tape cassette or a USB drive with artwork or a poster or something mm-hmm. to kind of do that kind of marketing where you physically give them more than the stream. Um, That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of indie bands, there, uh, you know, rock bands have been doing that. Have been very successful at doing very low level you know, physical CDs and uh, LPs. So I think that's kind of seems to be the way to go. Um, mm-hmm. But it's great having you on. Our, our clock is going to time this out around 75 minutes. And we're at like yeah. 73. So it's been yeah, great you. having you on the show. We're, this is going to get pushed out to all 11 platforms that we're on, including Apple, uh, Spotify, uh, Google, Radio Public, many more. We're going to send you the top three ones, Apple, Spotify, and Anchor. And, um, yeah, we're going to link this to our uh, Instagram channel where the Spotify podcast will be a highlight and people can go right to the Spotify version of this podcast and listen to it. On awesome. our channel. So we'll put that up as a story and you'll be able to see it and connect to it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, it's great having you. And when you have another project you want to push or, you know, another release, let us know. We like to have people on the show multiple times. Uh, we're having a band we talked to like two, three months ago on Friday. So we talk to our artists as, as often as they want to. Um, so let us know when you have something you want to talk about. And that's cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'll, I will be having something very soon. Okay, great. Thank you for being on. Uh, Alex, Celeste, everybody go out to our Spotify or out to our, our links. We're <laughs> going to put the hyperlinks on the podcast. Please go out and check and download, purchase everywhere you can and support the artists that you care about. Um, Thank you, Alex Celeste, for being on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.